Okay, preschoolers, you are dismissed, those going to the preschool class. Good morning, everyone else. Open up uh, your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. Hey, guys, we've got Miriam and Vincent here for their first Sundays ever at Franklin City Church. Feel some added pressure. I didn't know this was going to be some people's first sermon ever hearing. So, uh, but good to have good to have both of you families back and here and little ones here. Romans chapter twelve. Romans chapter twelve. Church. Well, most of you know that I have uh, two older sisters. Uh, one sister Marie, who was severely handicapped, and she's now with the Lord. And then Betsy, who many of you know, she's four years older than me. And so growing up, you know, Betsy, being four years older, she was always bigger, she was always stronger, and she was always smarter than me. And so when she would do things to me that I didn't like or I thought were annoying, uh, my way to retaliate was not to get in a battle of words with her. Um, I knew that I would be outmatched there. I knew I couldn't just go about uh, a, even a normal wrestling match with her. She would be uh, stronger than me at that point. Um, and so instead, my strategy was to lower my head and run after her head first like a battering ram, billy goat style, you know, just, just going for it. Uh, this was before we knew as much as we know now about concussions and head injuries, that wasn't a thought on my radar. It was to lower my head and charge full steam ahead. I knew if I tried to you know, get in an argument with her, she would somehow figure out a way to outwit me and turn the tables on me and get me to you know, do all of her chores for her or something like that. So instead, my way to get back simply was to lower my head and go full steam ahead until she yelled for mom. And then I would go run and hide or something like that. Now, what I didn't realize then, and am still learning now, is that sinful retaliation and getting even with someone uh, never really solves the problem, does it? In fact, it typically makes things worse. (laughs) That's okay. That's okay. (laughs) As long as it's the Bible reading app, you're not trying to listen to a better sermon or something right now. That's fine. But retaliation, it never, it never really solves the problem. It just makes things worse. And, and yet, because of the presence of sin in our lives and in our world, isn't this what we many times do? We try to battle sin with more sin. We try to fight evil with evil. We hope and we hang on to this hope that someday two wrongs are going to make a right. And it looks different at different ages, but the heart of it is the same problem. I mean, when you were young and someone took a toy from you, what did you do? What did you want to do at the very least? You wanted to take that toy back or take two of their toys. Someone punches you, you want to punch them back a little bit harder than they punched you. Someone hurts your feelings, well, you're going to turn around and you're going to hurt their feelings. Someone says something bad against you, well, hey, you've got lots to say about them, you could say, that would hurt their feelings. I mean, you've got to fight fire with fire, right? And yet by living this way, church, what we will find out this morning is that by trying to fight evil with evil, What we're doing is we're actually falling for the schemes of the kingdom of darkness. And when we do that, we are in danger of being overcome by evil. Anyone can return evil for evil. And anyone can return good for good. But what we're going to learn this morning in Romans 12 is the God-ordained battle plan to overcome and defeat evil in our world and in your hearts. And so this is big. This is a big passage of Scripture. This is key for a victorious Christian life. In light of the mercies of God that we've learned about in the first 11 chapters of Romans, as ones who are living sacrifices for God, as we learned about at the very start of Romans 12, as ones who are not being conformed to this world, but are being transformed by the renewal of our minds, 
as ones who are part of the body of Christ and are carrying out the mission of God to bring about the final destruction of Satan, sin, and death in the world, God tells us this is how we overcome evil. This is how. Look with me at verse 21. This is where our focus needs to be at this morning. We'll look at the verses preceding it. But, but this, is, this is key. Romans 12, 21. God's word says, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is how we overcome evil, church. We overcome evil with good. The cycle of evil is broken in our world and in our hearts and in our families and in our church. Not when we fight fire with fire, not when we retaliate and take justice into our own hands. The cycle of evil is broken when we respond with good, with good. Well, what does that look like? And that's where we're going today in this passage. Uh, Nate said last week that this text doesn't lend itself well to a three-point sermon. And on one hand, I agree with that. On the other hand, I took that as a personal challenge. And so we've got three points this morning that I believe are still faithful to the text, but will hopefully give you three points that are ready to use on the battlefields of life because this is so, so important, church. Paul is pleading with the Roman church, and I plead with you today as well, church, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Well, what are the overarching principles we see in this text that help us overcome evil with good? Those will be our three points this morning. In these verses, we learn that we will overcome evil with good when first we practice self-forgetfulness. We practice self-forgetfulness. We will overcome evil with good when we patiently wait on the Lord. And we will overcome evil with good when we prepare people for repentance. Prepare people for repentance. Practice self-forgetfulness, patiently wait on the Lord, and prepare people for repentance. Let's ask the Lord for the Lord's help, and then we'll jump into his word. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word. And God, we acknowledge this is your word, and we are your people and we've come to hear from you today. So, Father, we ask that you would speak, Lord, through, through these words that I share, through your word that is read and proclaimed, that your spirit would empower this, that your truth would prevail and go forth. God, we ask that the truth of your word, it would, it would inform our minds, but that it would also transform our hearts, that it would take deep root in us and bear good fruit in our lives. So, Lord, help us see your battle plan to overcoming evil in the world and in our hearts. We ask for your help. We need it. We can't do this in our own strength. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, look with me now at Romans 12, verse 14, as we see this first point that we will overcome evil with good when we practice self-forgetfulness. Romans 12, 14 says, Bless those who who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. I mean, look at how seemingly impossible of a command this is. God says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. The natural reaction to being persecuted and to being mistreated is to retaliate and curse. But that's not God's strategy to overcome evil. He says instead, bless those who persecute you. Well, what does it mean to bless? What it means to bless someone is to speak well of them and praise them 
to God and others. That's, that's part of the meaning to, meaning, to speak well of them, to praise them, to God and to others. So when we're talking about blessing the Lord, you know, sometimes we even sing a song, bless the Lord. We read Psalms, bless the Lord. What we're talking about then is we're talking about praising him, speaking well of him, giving him praise and adoration. But when we talk about blessing others, it means that we are speaking well of them to God and to others in order that they might receive grace and special favor from God and others. So what does this mean? This means that we pray for them. To bless someone means to pray for them, to speak well of them to God, to to ask for his special grace and favor in their life, to pray good things for them. This goes right along with what Jesus taught us as well in Matthew 5. He says, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. How in the world do you pray for someone who is persecuting you and causing you pain? Well, to start, you have to practice self forgetfulness. You have to, at least for a moment, stop ruminating on the hurt that they are causing you, and you have to think about them. You have to pray good things for them. Now, I think we've all prayed for enemies at some point in our lives, but it's typically that three-word prayer that we like to pray for our enemies. It's a prayer that I'm ashamed to say I have prayed more than I care to admit. You know the three, what that three-word prayer is that you like to pray for your enemies, right? Those three words are, God, get them. That's the prayer we want to pray for our enemies. God, get them. But that's not what God calls us to hear. He says, bless them, which means pray for good things for them. And then watch not only what God will do in their life, but watch what he'll do in your life when you start praying good things for them. I mean, yes, we're concerned for the cycle of evil and sin to be broken in the world, but you watch that cycle get broken in your own heart when you start praying blessings for your enemies, for those who have hurt you. Now, I do want us to pause for a moment and recognize something. Let's have some degree of self-awareness as American Christians. Um, that we might, as Christians in America, have a growing number of enemies, but we still don't experience anywhere near the level of persecution that many of our brothers and sisters experience throughout the world. But that might not always be the case for all of us, which is why we need to hear these warnings as well. Even if we might not be facing extreme persecution right now in our lives, we all need to hear this because for some of us, God might call some of us, God might call some of you to go to places in the world where extreme levels of persecution occur. And you got to know the battle plan. You got to know God's desire for you in that. Or God may allow persecution to come upon us in a greater here a greater way here in Franklin at, at some point but either way we need to be prepared with the battle plan to overcome that kind of evil and persecution if and when we are faced with it and part of that plan is this part of the plan is to bless those who persecute you bless those who persecute Now, how in the world can we be ready to bless those who persecute us? Well, to start, we could start by practicing blessing those who are sitting next to us. (laughs) Yes, some of you, depending on who you're sitting next to, feel the weight of that. 
But in all honesty, listen, you are nowhere close to being ready to bless your persecutors, to speak well of your persecutors to God and to others. You are nowhere close to being ready to do that if you struggle to bless someone in here who has hurt your feelings. You are nowhere close to being ready to bless those who persecute you if you aren't blessing your neighbors and your pastors and your church, and your family. I mean, if we can't bless those who have unintentionally hurt us, how are we going to bless those who are intentionally hurting us? This takes us practicing self-forgetfulness, church. We must learn the discipline of taking our eyes off of ourselves and setting them on Christ of not ruminating on the hurt that happened to us, but instead remembering the hurt that Christ took for us so that we could be healed. So that now any hurt or evil or bad thing we experience can now be worked by him for our good. That's the glory of the cross, church. To get our eyes off of our own hurt. And to look at the wounds of Christ and to remember what his wounds have now accomplished for us so that now we could be healed. Listen to this prayer. This prayer was uh, uh, offered up by a Serbian bishop who was placed in a concentration camp during World War II for speaking out against the Nazis. This is his prayer from a concentration camp. He says, bless my enemies, O Lord. Even I bless them and do not curse them. Enemies have driven me into your embrace more than friends have. Friends have bound me to earth. Enemies have loosed me from earth and have demolished all my aspirations in the world. Just as a hunted animal finds safer shelter than an unhunted animal does, so have I, persecuted by enemies, found the safest sanctuary, having ensconced myself beneath your tabernacle where neither friends nor enemies can slay my soul. Bless my enemies, O Lord. Even I bless and do not curse them. That's someone who's got their eyes fixed on Christ. Look at how else we must practice self-forgetfulness and by doing so, overcome evil with good. Look at verse 15 now. God's word says, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. Now, both of those commands can be difficult when we've got our eyes focused on ourselves and not set on Christ and others. But I believe the first part of this verse is way more difficult to obey because to be able to rejoice with those who rejoice, what that takes is a heart that is emptied and cleansed of all jealousy. And oh, we are a people who are prone to jealousy, aren't we? And it is stealing our joy. It is rotting our bones. Is this you? Can you truly rejoice with those who rejoice? When a friend or someone in the church gets a promotion and they get recognized for something they did when, when someone gets more responsibility or praise from someone than you do? I mean, can you truly be happy for them and rejoice with them? Or do you immediately become jealous of them and get angry with God that God has blessed them in ways that he has not blessed you and then you sink into despair, self-loathing, and self-pity? Do not be overcome with evil, church. Overcome evil with good. 
Break that cycle of evil in your heart. Practice self-forgetfulness and discipline yourself to rejoice with those who rejoice. Now listen, here's, here's a little secret. This is only possible when Christ is your ultimate joy. It's only possible when Christ is your ultimate joy. Otherwise, you see people joyful about these lesser joys, and you'll always want those lesser joys, and you'll resent them for having it. Oh, but if Christ is your ultimate joy, if Christ is your main source of joy, oh, that frees you to forget yourself for a moment and rejoice with those who rejoice. Oh, church, you would have so much more joy in your life if you learned how to be able to truly rejoice with those who rejoice. One of the joys of being a pastor, and really, I suppose, a a Christian, is yes, there are always things in life or in church life to grieve and mourn over that are happening amongst in the body of Christ. But there are also always things to rejoice about. If only we could practice some self-forgetfulness and overcome evil with good. Go find someone to rejoice with this morning. Go find the Joneses, right, and the Blazers, and go rejoice with them. There are good things happening in the life of our church. If only we could set, get our eyes off of ourselves for a moment to see it. Well, look at how else we are to practice self-forgetfulness, and by doing so, overcome evil with good. Look now at verse 16. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Do not be haughty. Don't be proud. Don't be trying to climb this social ladder of importance and prestige and set yourselves up higher than other people. Instead, be humble. Associate with the humble and the lowly. Take the, take the last, the lowest seat of honor at the table. Never be wise in your own sight. Don't create cliques and social hierarchies to climb your way to the top of. No, consider others more significant, significant than yourselves. Practice self-forgetfulness. And as a result, you will overcome evil with good. Do not be overcome with evil, church. Overcome evil with good. But we all still do enjoy a little payback, don't we? We still have that feeling inside us. We love when we can say to others, what goes around comes around. I mean, even the sweetest and the nicest and the most polite people amongst us, we sort of, sometimes you like to see people get even and get a little revenge. A story has been told about some officers during the Korean War, and they had rented a house and they had hired a a Korean boy to to help take care of things at the house and get them meals and, and do some of the chores around the house for them. And this Korean boy always went about his business very politely, kindly, and uh, even though the soldiers were actually kind of mean to him. They, they played pranks on him. Uh, they would, you know, nail his shoes to the floor. They would put buckets of water up over the doorway so when he opened, the water would come down on him. Finally, the soldiers, they feel ashamed for how they've been acting to him, even though he's been so polite and kind and, and hospitable. And, and they, they finally uh, pull him in, they say, and they apologize. They say, hey, we're going to stop all these pranks on you. This hasn't been right. And he responds then in his broken English with, you mean no more nail shoes to the floor? And they said, no, no more. He said, you mean no more water on door? And they said, no more. Okay, then, he said, no more spit and soup. (laughs) I mean, he was polite and kind about it, but there's something in all of us, right, that like a little payback. And you should remember that as you treat those who are serving you food. Even the nicest of us, we like it a little bit. But church, we we will overcome evil with good, not when we seek payback, but when we patiently wait on the Lord. Look at Romans 12, verse 17. Repay no one evil for evil. 
but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. God says, do not seek revenge for yourselves. Don't seek payback. Repay no one evil for evil, but do the honorable thing. If possible, so far as it depends on you, he acknowledges that peace and reconciliation, it can't always happen if the other person's not willing to reconcile, but so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. And then he tells us why we shouldn't seek payback or revenge. And this is, this is interesting. Because what's interesting is that God doesn't say vengeance is wrong. No, what does he say? He doesn't say vengeance is wrong. He says vengeance is mine. That changes things. I think part of the reason that vengeance is many times our first instinct and desire is that we were created in the image of God and have an inbuilt sense of justice inside of us. We want justice to be done. If a wrong has been done, we want it made right. And that's not necessarily wrong. Vengeance is not wrong. God says, vengeance is mine. You see, it becomes wrong when we take it into our own hands and seek to carry it out in our own way and in our own timing. God has given us a strategic battle plan for overcoming evil, and the vengeance part of the plan is his part. It's above your rank, soldier. It's his part. So if you take it into your own hands... You are essentially telling God that you don't trust him to carry out justice in the correct way and in the correct timing. But if God's got this vengeance thing, if that's his part to play, then we can patiently wait on him to carry out his justice in his timing. Proverbs 20, 22 says, do not say I will repay evil. Wait for the Lord and he will deliver you. Church, we will overcome evil with good when we patiently wait on the Lord. The Lord will deal with all sin. He will right all wrongs. And his justice will be carried out on the earth one way or the other. Sin was paid for either on the cross so that mercy and grace could be dispensed to those who look to Christ. Or judgment and wrath are still coming upon the sin either in this life or the life to come. So patiently wait on the Lord. Now let me, I'm going to provide a little clarification to this by looking forward to what we're going to talk about next week. Next week, we are going to look at one of the most misused and abused parts of Scripture, and that is Romans 13. And I hope that you will be here next week because we need to have a biblical understanding of the way that God governs his world and understand the different spheres of authority that he has put into place. And one of those authorities that God has given is the civil government. And we'll see in Romans 13, 4, in referring to the civil government, Paul's going to write, For he is God's servant for your good, but if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. which what that means is, is one of the ways that God rules with justice and vengeance are through these authorities that he has put into place 
in his world, right? Through, through the family and the authority that God has given a family and a household, through the authority of the church and the, 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 the sphere of authority that God has given church leaders, and then through the civil government. And it is through a properly functioning civil government, through military and police who are there to punish crime and carry out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. So part of patiently waiting on the Lord very much can mean patiently relying upon and going to these God-given authorities that he has put into place. The reason that I bring that up to you right now, and it feels like we're kind of jumping ahead to to what's next week, I want to bring that up to you right now. Because if you are in a situation right now where a crime is being committed against you, if you are in a situation right now where you are being physically abused or mistreated, sexually abused or mistreated, listen, you need to tell someone. You need to tell one of the pastors here. You need to tell your city group leader. You need to tell someone. All right? What we're learning about in Romans 12 is not to say, let's just sweep every wrong under the rug and just forget it's not there and keep putting yourself in situations to be harmed and hurt and for crime to be committed against you. That's not what, that's not what Romans 12 is saying. Romans 12 is, t- is telling you to not take justice into your own hands. But part of patiently waiting on the Lord can look like telling the authorities that God has given and allowing God to work through the civil government and to work through church government to carry out his justice and his discipline. And so if you are in a situation right now where you are being harmed, crimes are being committed against you, please tell someone. Please tell someone. But what Paul is saying here in Romans 12, he's saying, don't take justice and all of, the, all of the righting of all wrongs, take it into your own hands. It's God's job. And he'll be better at it than you anyway. And in fact, this, this is also a warning for you, because in fact, by you taking it into your own hands, by you taking revenge and justice and all these things into your own hands, you'll actually end up destroying yourself You'll end up being overcome by evil. George Washington Carver, he, he once said, I thought there was a lot of wisdom in this quote from him. He says, I will never let another man ruin my life by making me hate him. There's some wisdom in that. I will never let another man ruin my life by making me hate him. If you are hating someone, if you are seeking revenge against someone, if you are living your life trying to get even with people, it's going to ruin your life. Correction, it is ruining your life. It's ruining your life. If you do not patiently wait on the justice of the Lord, what has happened is you'll, be, you'll become like the honeybee. You guys know about the honeybee? When honeybees sting someone, they end up dying a really gruesome death. You see, specifically with the honeybee, their stinger is structured in such a way when they go into human skin, they can't pull the stinger back out. And so what happens is what we would think of as the lower abdomen of the honeybee ruptures, leaving a gaping hole, and everything starts falling out and the bee dies. So if a honeybee stings you, I mean, they really do not like you because they're killing themselves to sting you. And it's the same thing that happens to us when we want to get revenge and payback on someone. Oh, we want to we sting them back. We don't want to wait patiently on the Lord to carry out his justice and his way and his timing. No, we want to get them back right now. And as a result, our stomachs turn and are constantly upset. We can't sleep. We can't think about anything else. It's driving us crazy. Our blood pressure is getting elevated. Our cortisol levels are elevated. Our phys- we start feeling it physically in our body. 
and you think you're getting them back by all the ways you're planning all this, these things to get them back in your head, all the while what you're really doing is killing yourself. And some of you, 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 are, you are honeybee Christians right now, thinking that if you could just sting this person, then you'll feel better and things will be good. You think you can solve the problem of sin with more sin. Listen, sin makes us crazy. I've been there, okay? I'm not, I'm not trying to hurt anyone's feelings or call you crazy, but, but we, we think that. We think we can solve the problem of sin with more sin and it not just create a bigger problem and more chaos as a result. And Paul says in verse 19, the same thing I say to you this morning, beloved, beloved, people that I love dearly, don't be overcome with evil. Overcome evil with good. Never avenge yourselves. Leave it to the wrath of God. Patiently wait on the Lord. And you know what? Patiently waiting on the Lord is going to require you to learn how to forgive. You will never have a lasting and meaningful relationship with anyone ever again if you do not learn to forgive. I've thought about that phrase a lot because I feel like I'm maybe overstating it, but I don't think I am overstating that. I mean, you can change churches and friends every few years and keep things nice. You can, you can just keep things in a friendship really superficial and on a surface level, but you will never have a lasting and meaningful relationship with anyone ever again if you do not learn how to forgive. Patiently wait on the Lord. And I think we would say yes and amen to that. You know it's the right thing to do, but why can't you do it? Why can't we do it? Well, one thing the Lord laid on my heart, could, could idolatry be part of the problem here? Our hearts are like little idol factories, things that we are desiring and pursuing and wanting more than God. Could it be that some of you have a desire for power over people and this has become an idol in your heart? Life only has meaning and you only have worth if you have power or influence over people. That is power idolatry. It's one of the more common ones that human beings have. You see, some of us have trouble forgiving and patiently waiting on the Lord because we care more about experiencing power over people than we care about people experiencing the power of Christ. I'll say it again. We care more about experiencing power over people than we care about people experiencing the power of Christ. And so as long as someone has wronged us and we hold on to it and we show it off to others, then we in some sick way feel like we have power over that person. Afraid that if we let it go, if we forgive, if we overlook an offense, then we've lost the power we had over them. All the while, we don't realize that we're actually being overcome by evil and sin is starting to overpower us. Church, do you care more about experiencing power over people than you care about people experiencing the power of Christ? Do not be overcome by evil, church. Overcome evil with good. And to recap, we will overcome evil with good when we practice self-forgetfulness and when we patiently wait on the Lord, when we forgive as we have been forgiven. And then finally, we will overcome evil with good when we prepare people for repentance. Look now at verse 20, Romans 12, verse 20. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. 
do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Church, I believe that God has a favorite way to destroy enemies. He's got a favorite way. And it's not with fire and brimstone. And it's not in the coming judgment. Although I believe he does work through both of those things, and those both things are real, and we we should hear the, the warning of those things. But I believe God's favorite way to destroy enemies is to turn them into friends. And the reason I believe I can say that is because look around. Dear church, it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. (laughs) You, who we've learned already in Romans, you who were enemies, have now become friends and adopted into the family of God. Let me remind you what we learned back in Romans 5, verse 10. It says, For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. This is such a a plot twist. In the movie of our own life, we always think we're the hero. We're the good guy. And then we read the Bible and we're like, wait a minute, I'm the bad guy. Jesus is the good guy. Oh, but how sweet it is that God loves and delights in turning enemies into friends. It's why we're here this morning. We are not here because we earned his friendship. We are here because he delights to turn enemies into friends. Wasn't it the mercy and the grace and the kindness of God that led you, an enemy of God, to repentance? And if that was the case with you, then shouldn't we also overcome evil by preparing people for repentance through our kindness as well. If your enemy is hungry, feed them. When he is thirsty, we give them something to drink. I was reading about an account from some Nigerian Christians, and they said that verse was just so, they could, it was so hard to get their minds around because you would never eat and share a meal with an enemy. You would each be concerned that one of you was going to poison the other one. Like, well, I didn't even think about that. I just thought, you know, sometimes you have, you have people over for meals and it's not always the most comfortable and you, you, work, you work through it or whatever. But no, this is, look at this. If our enemy is hungry, we feed them. When he is thirsty, we give them something to drink. And in doing so, the phrase, heap burning coals on his head, I believe that is best under, the best understanding of that is that through your kindness, through your, your tangible acts of service, they will experience conviction. Many will see the error of their ways and their hearts will be prepared for repentance. Do not be overcome with evil, church. Overcome evil with good. Prepare people for repentance with kindness. A story is told about a Christian in China who owned a rice field and it was right next to a devout atheist and communist and a man that didn't really care for the, the, the Christian. The Christian man every morning had to get up early to water his field by going down to the canal and had to use a leg pump to pump the water out from the canal to fill his rice field so that he could, he could have a successful rice field. Well, his neighbor, uh, the, the atheist who didn't really care for him, his field was a little lower than, than the Christian man's field. So what the neighbor would do is just go and remove the boards that separated the field and let all the Christian man's water just flood and fill the, the atheist field. And he did this day after day, day after day. The man finally, the Christian man went to the Lord and prayed, Lord, if this keeps up, I'm, I'm going to lose all my rice. This is this can't keep happening, and, and I survive. And the Lord then laid something on his heart. He showed him how to overcome evil with good. And so what the man did was he got up even hours earlier than normal and started pumping water into his neighbor's field first 
making sure it was well watered first, checking in with him, making sure that family had everything they needed, and then going and filling up his own field with water. Well, you can guess what happened. The enemy becomes a neighbor, the neighbor becomes a friend, and he eventually becomes a Christian. Do not become, do not be overcome with evil, church. Overcome evil with good. In the 1800s, there was a missionary from England named James Hannington. He went to evangelize to a tribe of cannibals in Uganda, one of the first uh, missionaries uh, taking the gospel to Uganda. The tribe killed him and did what cannibals do. However, his two sons, his two sons were sent to replace him on the mission field, and they did not show up with a militia ready for revenge. No, they showed up to show a Christ-like kindness and forgiveness to a tribe of people who had killed their father. And as a result, most of the tribe ended up becoming Christians, and they later shared with, their, with the sons what, the, what their father had been saying repeatedly out loud as they led him to his death. While being led to his death, he repeated unceasingly Jesus' words, Love your enemies, love your enemies. Love your enemies. Love your enemies. And they didn't know what to do with that at the time. But it haunted them until the sons showed up and they heard the gospel. That love shown toward enemies was even then by that father preparing their hearts for repentance. And those who were enemies of God and of others would eventually be destroyed and become friends. Do not be overcome with evil, church. Overcome evil with good. Oh, church, how many times has kindness toward enemies prepared people's hearts for repentance? There were just more stories than we could ever even think to share in a Sunday morning. Of course, many of you know the Jim Elliott story, and, but I had a handful of other ones we could have shared this morning as well. How many times has this been God's way to overcome evil with good? And I'll close with the account of the killing and stoning of Stephen. Because here is a man, I mean, how, how can we stand in the face of enemies and bless them and feed them and love them and forgive them? Well, I think we do get some insight into how this is possible in Acts 7, 55, speaking of Stephen. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, remember that phrase, but he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Okay, so here's Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, with eyes fixed on Christ. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him, and the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. Saul, also called Paul, who wrote this letter to the Romans we are reading. 59. And they were stoning Stephen, and he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he said this, he fell asleep. Oh, you see, in this account, I believe Paul himself was being prepared for repentance through watching Stephen be martyred and stand in the face of his enemies. And he's blessing his enemies. He's praying to the Lord for their forgiveness. Don't hold this against them, Lord. Can you imagine being so full of the Spirit and our eyes so fixed on Christ that you could say that? That you would have a heart that could pray that? Oh, that's what I want. That's the heart of Christ. 
Stephen, with his last words, he could cry out something very similar to what Jesus cried out on the cross. Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Father, forgive them. Do not be overcome with evil, church. Overcome evil with good. And the only way we overcome evil with good, church, is when we overcome evil with God. Full of the Holy Spirit, with our eyes fixed on Jesus, trusting him every step of the way, remembering the gospel, remembering that all of us, we were at one time enemies of God, but now through the blood of Christ have been reconciled and welcomed in as friends. Therefore, do not be overcome with evil, church. Overcome evil with good. Practice self-forgetfulness. Go, go this week and pray prayers of blessing for those who you might want to curse. Now, that's a, that's a discipline. And I, I specifically said practice this. It, it will take practice. And I have found in praying for enemies, I have to write them out because I, have, I feel like I have a little bit better of a handle over what my hand can write than what my mind can think. Does that make sense? You start praying for enemies, and man, your mind starts going down some dark places. It starts going back to that prayer of God, get them. But I can control my handwriting a little bit better, and I'm going to pray prayers a blessing for them. I'm going to practice that. I'm going to discipline myself to do that, not only for what God will do in their life, but because I know what God's going to do in my life when I pray those prayers. Practice self-forgetfulness. Pray prayers of blessings for those you might want to curse. Rejoice with those who you might initially want to be jealous of. Practice this. Go practice rejoicing with those who are rejoicing. You should have something this week, church, that you are rejoicing over that is not in your life specifically. Let me challenge you to go do that. Do not be overcome with evil, church. Overcome evil with good. Patiently wait on the Lord. Patiently wait on the Lord. Do not take revenge into your own hands. Wait for the Lord to right all wrongs through his authority, through his means. And as you patiently wait, forgive as you have been forgiven. Forgive as you have been forgiven. Do not be overcome with evil, church. Overcome evil with good. Prepare people for repentance through kindness, made possible through the filling of the Holy Spirit, with your eyes fixed on your Savior. Think for a second right now who you can show kindness to this week, and in doing so, prepare them for repentance. The church, I know at times things look dark, we can despair. Sometimes it feels like we are going to be overcome by evil. But take heart, church. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Therefore, do not be overcome with evil, church. Overcome evil with God, who is so good. Let's pray.